who you are. You are always working in us, with us, and through us, and God, we're so humbled by that. Heard a song this week that said, when everybody's running away, God is running towards you. (laughs) Through failures, mistakes, dumb things that we say when when people are moving away from us, God, you're moving toward us because you're working and your grace is sufficient, your kindness everlasting, your love unconditional, it's hard to fathom. Thank you for it, Lord. God, uh, continue to move toward us in this service, Lord, and help us to move toward you as well, Lord, as we worship you, as we open up your word and receive instruction. Lord, we want to hear what you have to say to us, not just today, but every day, Lord God. Today's just a time that we gather corporately and we hear together what you want to say to the body of Christ. But Lord, every day, Lord, help us to remain in you, to abide in you, to be connected to you, to be filled with you, Lord God. I don't know about the rest of the group, but Lord, I can't do it without you. Lord, I don't, I don't want to do it without you. So thank you, Lord, for your kindness to ride out the storms of life with us, to be faithful when things are good and when things are hard. You're faithful. 
God, minister all over the Central Coast as people are struggling with illness and issues, Lord God. I just pray, God, that you bring healing all over the Central Coast. God, that uh, people would know that you're alive and well because of the good work that you're doing, God. Thank you, Lord. Be ministering all over the world in places like Afghanistan where they're just hard and horrific things happening, Lord God. We just pray for your grace, your sovereign power and presence all over the globe, Lord God, that you'd be protecting people and rescuing people and responding to the hard cries of people, meeting the, the physical needs and the spiritual needs of people all over the globe, Lord God. God, we just invite you to do wonderful and supernatural things locally and globally. God, help us to be mindful, to be prayerful, and to be faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, worship team. We've titled the message today, The Path to Godly Character in a Fallen World. And um, I had a chance to be tested in this arena on, uh, in a golf match that I was in this week. The path to godly character in a fallen world. One guy said, I've given up cussing unless I'm on the golf course. <laughs> I didn't say that. Somebody else said that. But I might as well have said that. So the path to godly character in a fallen world. So a buddy of mine, we were playing golf this week, and, and uh, we're excited. We're going to go out and play 18 holes of golf. And, and uh, we get out there, and we get behind this excuse me, but we get behind this geriatric couple, this very old couple, and um, which is fine, but they were very slow as well, and um, very, very uh, thoughtful about every shot, <laughs> and, um, and uh, it just went on and on and on and on, and uh, so finally at one point we decided we're going to just jump over this couple and go to the next hole. And then we ran into the same thing. <laughs> Another old couple who, bless their hearts, they were very just thoughtful about every shot. And, and so we get through the front nine, and then we decide, let's just go have lunch. Hopefully all of the slow people will get, get ahead of us and move and get moving, and then we'll be able to get out and play. But the truth is we were playing such terrible golf, both of us, from the first strike of the ball to the very last strike of the ball that we were completely discouraged with our golf game and then we were so it was just we sat at lunch and we said this was this has been a a lesson in patience today the path to godly character in a fallen world an imperfect world and so we were tested that day we were so discouraged after nine holes and after lunch and then we get to lunch and we're at the counter for lunch and we get behind this other I think it was one of the same couples that we were behind on the golf course, and um, they were very thoughtful about every decision that they were making at the cafeteria there at the uh, the restaurant, and and the service was really really slow. So every moment we had opportunity to be to find the path <laughs> to godly character in a fallen world because you want to lash out you're right you're like you, we, we wanted to say 
Beat it up, Alice, right? You want to just kind of yell it out there and uh, get anxious, but, but we decided not to do that, and we just grumbled amongst ourselves instead, which is, you know, the high road, I guess, in that situation. <laughs> we shouldn't have grumbled at all, but we did, and so we just quit. We quit after nine holes and went home. We decided it was over. Um, I was reading in Proverbs chapter 3, it's not going to be up on the screen, but I was reading this yesterday in light of the message that I wrote uh, this week, uh, Proverbs three fifteen through 17 says, wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. And so I thought it was interesting that that word path was used in my devotional reading after I'd written the message. There's an expectation that God has upon us, it's put upon us, and is to be expected, actually, as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're filled with, actually, we're filled with his presence. When we come to faith in Jesus, we're told that his spirit the third person of the Trinity, the person of the Holy Spirit actually comes and takes up residence. He lives in us. And so um, we're to live our lives as believers, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, reflecting that life that is within us. And we're told in, in John 15 to abide in Christ, that he will abide in us and we will produce much fruit. And so out of that life of abiding, remaining in Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit, there's actually, there's actually a change of life that is obvious or should be obvious in us and with us. We're in Titus chapter 2, but at the end of Titus chapter 1, Paul wrote about the corrupt and unbelieving. He said, this is why they were corrupt and unbelieving. He said, they claim to know God, but they deny him by the way they live their lives. Isn't that interesting? So he said, they claim to know God, but they deny him by the way that they are living their lives. In other words, Paul could look at their lives and know that they're not that they don't actually know God. Their, their, their lives were actually incongruent. Uh, what they said they believed didn't actually line up with the way that they lived their lives. There, there's a specific path, the path of godly wisdom, that we must choose to develop godly character. And it's in doing so that our lives are congruent. We live, not perfectly, we can all raise our hands and talk about the struggles that we have as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, things that get us into trouble and things that, that cause us problems. So we're not talking about perfection, but we are talking about consistency. And, and, um, and we're talking about on, an honest pursuit of God and his plans and purposes for our lives, an honest pursuit of the path of righteousness that God is calling us to live on. So there's a specific path. It's the path of godly wisdom that we must choose. And it's something that I find I got to choose all the time. I got I to gotta choose it like on the golf course. I got to choose it uh, when I'm doing just about everything. I've got to choose this godly path or else by default, I'm off, off the path and do <laughs> thinking and saying and acting like I shouldn't be acting. So if I don't choose the path, then I'm off the path altogether. And so that path 
of wisdom keeps us congruent in the way that we live our lives. So we, we, we actually begin to live in the way that God has called us to live. So Paul wrote to Titus this clear instruction uh, regarding life and lifestyle and how to live. He said in verse 1, Titus 2, 1, As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. So he, Paul's saying it matters, and we see it throughout the whole Bible, Old and the New Testament, whether Paul's writing about it or somebody else. We're seeing that it matters how we live our lives. As for you, Titus, Titus, as you're leading the people of God on the island of Crete, this godless place, this worldly place, I want you to promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Make sure your living and your teaching line up. And this is a challenge for anybody like myself who has a teaching role and responsibility, but it's not just about pastors and people up front. It's about small group Bible study leaders. It's about youth leaders and Sunday school leaders and good news clubs leaders. It's about anybody who wants to proclaim with their lips, with their mouth, that they profess Jesus. We need to make sure that our living and our teaching line up. Titus must live in such a way that his life models wholesome teaching, the teaching he received from Paul and the teaching he gives day to day. So all of our lives should be, well, they should reflect the wholesome teaching we are receiving. So I get up on Sunday morning and I preach and teach and lead. And it's our job, myself first and foremost, to take in what I'm, I say this all the time, I'm, I'm preaching to myself mostly. And if you get something out of it, then God bless you. <laughs> but I'm mostly teaching to myself and, you know, and all of us and we need to make sure that what we're hearing as we listen to the teaching and then as we open up the scripture, because we need to be opening up the scripture to learn to self-feed and, and, and teach and be taught by the Holy Spirit and, and, be, and be learning all the time. As we look at the, the word of God like a mirror held up to our lives, we say, oh, I'm actually not doing this very well. And so, Lord, forgive me for not doing this very well. I need to make sure that I'm doing this. So by your spirit and in your power, Lord, help me to do that. So we all need to reflect the wholesome teaching we're receiving. <clears throat> so that, that's a responsibility, right? It's a responsibility put on the teacher, but also on the student. I need to be teaching and then making sure that my life is lining up with what I'm teaching. And then the student must listen and then make sure their lives are lining up with what is being taught. So the pupil and the teacher both have this responsibility that our lives accurately reflect the wholesome teaching of the Scripture. So what does wholesome teaching look like? Your Bible might use the words like sound doctrine. Your translation might say sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is basically healthy doctrine. Healthy doctrine leads to a healthy spiritual life. This contrasts with the disease. Remember we learned last week that the religious leaders, the church leaders in this, on this island of Crete were actually misleading the people. There were actually not godly people. They said that they knew God, but they denied him by the way they lived their lives. So this contrasts, this healthy doctrine, it contrasts with the diseased teaching of the religious leaders on the island. 
In Titus 1.9, it says that the elders are to encourage others with wholesome teaching or with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine are the truths that we believe. They're the truths that we teach as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our Christian statements of faith. It's this doctrine that we hold dear. It's the truths we teach and preach regarding our Christian beliefs. Titus must teach these truths to do a couple different things, to combat godless teaching, right? Because we're always hearing godless things, things that are not godly and things that are not truth. And so the truth of God's word combats that and he helps us to think properly about it, but it also equips the believers for good works in Christ. When we have a proper understanding of biblical doctrine, godly doctrine, then we live out of that. We live out of our in, the information that we believe. We live out of that, and then hopefully we're making wise choices and we're staying on the path that God would have us to stay on. So Titus must teach these truths to both combat godless teaching and to equip the believers for good works in Christ. Verse 2, he says, teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. So the path to godly character in a fallen world, number one, step one, exercise self-control. So this is for the older men, but as we will see, these characteristics for the men, the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, for slaves, all of the above, they apply to all of us. They apply to all of us. And so um, we're actually, we actually won't become older godly people if we don't begin the process now. There's, we, you know, there, there, there are exceptions to that, obviously. People come to faith in Christ late in life. I remember Jolene's grandpa came to faith late in life. And uh, he was completely transformed. He was completely transformed by the grace message of the Lord Jesus Christ as he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he became, um, as we reflect and as we remember, because he passed about 10 years ago or so, maybe a little bit longer, but we reflect on his life. He was totally transformed, getting saved at about, I don't know, in probably 80 years old or so. So there, there are exceptions, but the best way to gain this kind of stuff is to begin when we're young and to live a lifetime exercising self-control. So the older men are to understand and grow in this area of self-control and then model it uh, to everyone, but this truth is for everyone, self-control. Well, let's unpack that a bit. Self-control, it's fruit or evidence of the Holy Spirit's control in our lives. Self-control. I think I'll be wrestling with this area of self-control for the rest of my life. So it's good that I start now or hopefully started a while ago because it'll be something that um, um, will be a burden to me for the rest of my life, self-control. But it's really the fruit or evidence of the Holy Spirit's control. Um, it's evidence that the Holy Spirit is in us when... We have self-control regarding our words, thoughts, and deeds. It's not just about our deeds. It's just not about our words, but it's about our thoughts as well. In that secret place where we can get out of control with 
a lack of self-control. And so God's concerned about all three. Right? Because Jesus said, if you sin in your heart, you, it's just like you've done it naturally or outwardly. So self-control, fruit or evidence of the Holy Spirit. So if you're lacking self-control, just ask the Holy Spirit. God, I need self-control regarding my anger toward this person or regarding my attitude toward this person or regarding my uh, responsibility in this circumstance. God, give me self-control. Worthy of respect. That's the next one. Self-control goes a long way in helping someone be worthy of respect. Think about the people that you respect in your life. Those people probably have self-control figured out. They've figured out how to control themselves in word, thought, and deed. And because they figured out how to control themselves in word, thought, and deed, they are worthy of respect. Usually we respect people who are making wise choices. Uh, we respect people who are living their life maybe the way that we hope to live our lives. And so we hold somebody in esteem saying, I respect that person because I respect the way that they're living their lives. Who is worthy of respect? Again, people who make wise choices. And so I think about our, our, my life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Is my life worthy of respect? I, to some, would, some would say yes, some, some would say no. I, I, but my audience is God. What, what does God think? Is my life worthy of respect? And thank God for his mercy. Amen. Who is worthy of respect? People who make wise choices. And so it's a, it's a lifetime of, of, of kind of a, attaining this respect. It's a lifetime where throughout the course of a life, you look at somebody's life and you say, man, through the, there's been consistency. But also we've known, we've all known people who've made mistakes, who have repented of those mistakes and they've lived consistently. Or people who are humble in the midst of their mistakes and they're, they're, what is God working in your life? What is God wanting to change in your life so that you can become a person who is worthy of respect? Maybe you just need to speak differently to people. Maybe you need to think differently about your life. Maybe you need to act differently in relationship to your circumstances in life. None of us have a perfect life with perfect circumstances, so we have to figure out how to live as a person worthy of respect no matter what we're going through. Difficult marriages, difficult kids, uh, difficult financial situation, difficult physical stuff. Are we living in a way that we're, we're worthy of respect? This is the call that God has put upon older men, but it's something that all of us need to attain to. And it's only attainable through the power of the Holy Spirit when we yield to God and when we walk with God. Um, being filled with his presence and remaining in him. The last couple of days, uh, maybe probably because of our journey group, we, we, we're talking about um, abiding in God, and that's kind of the whole abiding in Christ. That's pr pretty much the theme, or the underlying theme of everything that we do in journey. So um, I've been thinking about a lot lately. And I, so I, I've been getting up in the morning and saying, Lord, help me to abide in you. I don't think I've prayed that prayer much in my life. I have, but not that much. And so lately, especially this week, I've said, Lord, help me to abide in you, meaning I want my words, thoughts, and deeds to reflect who you are. So if I'm up against a difficult situation, I want to make sure my words reflect who you are. I want to abide in you. And hopefully out of that, there's, there's wise choices and respect. Jesus said, yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
John 15 there. So people who remain abide in Christ make wise choices. What else? The old men are supposed to have sound faith. The older men must have sound faith. Sound faith comes from sound faith. <laughs> sound faith comes from, how do you get sound faith? Well, your faith will be tested to prove whether it's sound or not. There's just no other way around it. It will be tested. It's like building a boat. You've eventually got to put that boat in the water to see if it will float. If the, float, if the boat doesn't float, it's not a sound boat, right? A boat is designed to float and to carry passengers and cargo. So if it doesn't do that, then it's not sound. And so what happens, the boat comes back out of the water and they go back to work on the boat, right? It's tested, right? So maybe you've pulled, been pulled out of the water so that your faith can be tested and you're about to be put back in the water to see if your boat floats. Be okay either way. Be okay with the work because the work is uh, done by the, the boat builder, in this case, the Spirit of God, the person of God who wants to make you seaworthy. Wants to make you seaworthy so that you can be effective doing the things that he's called you to do and living the way that you've called, he's called you to live. So uh, older men must have sound faith. And that, again, is developed over the course of life maybe you don't have sound faith right now but you're saying god i want you to i'm sinking in the water i want you to take me out put me on the rack and fix me all right and you're saying god what does it need what do i need to be fixed and you go back and maybe you're, you're looking at all these attributes that we're talking about today in titus 2 and you're saying yeah i need that and i need that and i need that you're making a little shopping list and let let the holy spirit make that shopping list for you he might say, yeah, you're doing great there, but you need this. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Self-control, worthy of respect, sound faith. And the older men must also be filled with love and patience. Love and patience. I think sometimes as we get older, we get a little less loving and a little less patient. <laughs> that's the temptation right a little less loving because we get a little more cynical right because right? we know things or we think we do <laughs> we've got opinions about things and so we get a little less loving and a little less patient so i think it's interesting that that paul said to the older men be filled with love and patience jesus said in john 13 34 and 35 it's up on the screen so now i'm giving you a new commandment love each other love each other how just as i have loved you you should love each other your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples when we're loving each other like jesus loves us we're demonstrating that we belong to him that we belong to jesus because our love looks just like jesus's love for the world a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So that's the doctrine of love. We're to love not just in word. I love you. We should say that. We should say it often to the people that we love. But our action should reflect that statement, just like our action should should support the statement of our faith it should support our love so are we doing loving things 
or are we just getting crotchety as we get old? <laughs> the doctrine of love. This is what Jesus taught us about love. And then patience. I think we should, as we get older, we should be the most patient people in the world. But what happens? We start aching everywhere. We start, you know, start feeling all the pains of life. And, and then we get impatient. And we kind of justify our impatience. We're saying, ah, I'm an old guy. Everybody, everybody should be patient with me, right? And, uh, but that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Paul's telling us. He said, be patient. Uh, the, the younger people in our lives should witness our patience and then desire that. Um, it's something that is very difficult in this day and age, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit that makes us patient. So be patient. The older men must be patient. It's a lifetime process, right? So number one, exercise self-control. Number two, choose to honor God. It says in verse three, similarly, it's always a hard word for me to say, similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. Teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. Paul's addressing the issues of the people on this Greek island called Crete, and he's fashioning a list of areas for men and women, old men, old women, young women, young men, slaves. He's fashioning a list of areas that need attention. So if Paul was writing a letter to you, what might that look like? What might that list be? Maybe you can kind of take a little bit from each and every area and say, yeah, this is kind of my list. This is kind of my list. Teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. And then he just kind of unpacks that. He said they must not slander others. Uh, the King James Version says, don't be a false accuser. In other words, your words should be seasoned with grace. So maybe you check with yourself or check with the Holy Spirit. That's a better idea. Say, God, should I say this? I think we should be filled, so filled with the Holy Spirit that God has full access to our lives so that when we're about to say something, because he knows that we're going to say he knows what we're going to say before we say it. He knows what we're going to do before we do it. That we give him full access so that we actually are so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that we hear him say, sheesh. Sheesh. Like, stop. Like, don't. Shh. Don't say that. Right? And then what do we, we say? Yes, Lord. Right? We say, yes, Lord. Like, I know what I was going to say, and you know what I was going to say, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say it. Or if we're about to do something in word, thought, or deed, and he says, stop, we have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, and so we stop. I, I think that's what God's desire for us in sending the Holy Spirit to, to empower us to live the kind of life that he's called us to live, to do the works that he's called us to do, but he's got to have such close access to our hearts and minds that just with the still, the smallest voice, he's got our attention. 
and we do what he says to do. So maybe the next time we're tempted to, and again, this is not just for older women, but this is for all of us. All of this list is, but specifically, there must have been an issue with the older women slandering, falsely accusing, and so he's addressing it. So maybe, maybe this is your issue, maybe it's not your issue, but maybe the next time you're tempted to slander, and we're all tempted to slander, maybe you just say, God, um, I, I, I want to make sure that my words are seasoned with grace. I want to listen and then watch your behavior and your words change as the Holy Spirit says, shh, stop. Don't be a false accuser. Your words should be seasoned with grace, speaking the truth in love. We're, we're really good at speaking the truth. <laughs> we're really good at that, right? But speaking the truth in love. So that our words are seasoned with grace. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? It means we want the very best for the person that we're speaking the truth to. We're not looking to be right. We're not looking to accuse. We're just speaking the truth in love in that we want to see that person built up in their faith, in their understanding. We want to see that person restored. We want to make sure that person is loved. And sometimes we say hard things, but if it's done in love, we've done our part. We must speak the truth, but we must speak the truth in love. Again, this is not just for older women, but all of us. Also, it says, or be heavy drinkers. So older women must not be heavy drinkers. Enslaved to much wine, it says. We live in wine country. (laughs) So we have to guard against this. It doesn't say don't drink wine. It says don't be enslaved to much wine or be heavy drinkers. So just be careful. Be careful that you're not drinking too much. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, don't be drunk with wine. It will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So be careful. Some of us have liberty to drink. Uh, some of us don't have liberty to drink. Some of us can drink a little in moderation, and we're fine. Some of us can't drink at all because we won't be fine. So pay attention to what you're doing and make sure that you're fine. Make sure that you're good with the Lord. And Maybe it's the Holy Spirit again saying, stop to that extra bit or to it at all. Don't be heavy drinkers. Why? Because drunkenness leads to foolishness. And foolishness is the antithesis of what we are trying to accomplish as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be on a path, the path to godly character in a fallen world. Instead, the older women should teach others what is good in word and in deed. So older women are to teach in word and in deed. So It actually doesn't do a lot of good just to speak if there's not action following the speaking. It actually is pretty pointless to try to give instruction when there's not um, evidence that you're following that instruction yourself. So instead, the older women should teach others what is good. So, not... Drinking to excess, drunkenness, not slandering others, living in a way that honors God. That's God's call for 
our older women. Um, I'm going to stop there for this week because there's a lot more that I need to cover for this chapter, and we're just kind of getting out of time. So we will pick up the balance of this next week, steps three, four, and five. Step three for next week, just to whet your appetite, own the next generation. That's what we'll be talking about. Step four for next week, be an example by doing good works. We'll unpack this next week. Step five, do all things as unto the Lord. Lord, as we consider these things, imprint upon our hearts and minds the truth that we need to hear and give us the grace to be obedient, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as the worship team comes up and kind of gets ready to go, I want to go over the uh, list of home groups that are available. Uh, Ron talked about all kinds of stuff that's going on, but there is so much going on. Christy covered it last week, but I asked Christy to give me an outline of everything that's happening. So quickly, I'm going to go through the, I think, 17 different opportunities that are before us to be involved. I think that's the number. Don't count because I could be wrong about that. Here we go. Home groups. This is under home groups. Brett and Ann Harvey are hosting a group for families focused on those who have adopted children or foster care families, but all families are welcome. They will meet twice a month on Sundays at 5 p.m. So that's a home group at the Harvey's. I believe they're in Nipomo, and so that... Hmm? No, it is an AG. Okay, good. So all of this information is on our website also. Jim and Ginger Ramen host a home group on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock in Arroyo Grande. Kurt and Andy Saltzman will be hosting a home group for parents of teens. They will meet on Wednesdays at the same time as youth group, so that's happening. Scott and Amy Goodman host a home group on Thursdays at 6 p.m. in Pomo. They are currently studying through the book of Luke. Carol uh, Gary and Carol Wynn host a home group on Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. in AG. Matt and Stephanie List will be hosting a group for families, meeting twice a month on Sundays from 4 to 7 for worship, potluck dinner, fellowship, and sermon discussion. Josh and Christine Erdman will be hosting a group setting the Bible, Bible School on Wheels classes, so the, uh, the stuff that we've been teaching through um, midweek for the last few years. They will meet on Tuesdays at 6.30 for discussion, study, and fellowship, and they're in the Pomo. Seth and Carrie McMillan will be leading Financial Peace University. Ron already talked about that. Biblical money principles that teach you how to save for emergencies, pay off debt, spend wisely, and save for your future. They meet in the Pomo. Our foundations class, this uh, session will be the survey of the Bible, taught by Bruce Wilkinson. Um, that will be Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. And then we have a weekly prayer group that meets Thursday mornings at 8 o'clock in the loft. So that's home groups and the prayer, prayer group. And then there's also men's groups. Um, Jim Erickson leads a early morning men's Bible study, which meets Thursday mornings at 6.15. Currently studying the book of Philippians. So that's happening Thursday, 6.15. Dave Workman leads a men's Bible study and prayer group. They meet on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. here at the church. The Pure Desire groups is for men who are seeking sexual purity. They meet on Mondays at 6.30 p.m., really all over this campus on Mondays. Age-specific, the young professional groups, they call themselves the Yopros, 
the Young Professional Group for ages 22 to 39 meets twice a month on Mondays at 7 p.m. and will be studying through a book of the Bible. The college group meets on Friday evenings at 6 p.m. in various homes in the five cities area. So that's college and yo pros. And then you've got women's groups. Our morning ladies Bible study is led by Jean and Nay. They meet on Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. and will be studying the book of 2 Peter. They meet, I believe, in the loft. Jen Hayden leads a young women's Bible study for those between the ages of 25 and 40. The group meets on Tuesdays at 6.45 p.m. And then the Good Yarn Club meets for fellowship and yarn crafting on the second Saturday of each month, 5 p.m. Also, there's Club 5-6 for 5th and 6th graders. I think there were like 28 or so 5th and 6th graders this week. There's junior high and high school. There's all kinds of stuff going on. There's journey groups that are already happening, so they're not really open for newcomers at this point, but there's journey groups for men and for women that are also happening, and you'll be uh, up to speed on those when those restart soon. There's just so many opportunities. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, did anybody count? I told you not to count. Good job. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, I was close, 18 plus the groups that are already going puts us probably close to 22, 23 groups happening during the week. So plenty of opportunity for people all ages, uh, male and female, you guys are welcome to to check those things out. They're on our website. Also, um, you can sign up to be a part, there's a kind of a little sign up fair outside, you can sign up to be a part of ministries within the church how many how many i'm going to have you guys stand how many are have are working with kids in the church if you're working with kids go ahead and stand up all over the campus if you're working with kids so that would be that would be nursery through high school all right nursery through high school what about the college and young adults how many are working with college and young adults if you're doing that go ahead and stand up what about women's groups if you're working with women's groups go ahead and stand up no stay standing stay standing there we go there we go <laughs> sorry i didn't make that clear also okay what if you're working with men's groups go ahead and stand up jim that would include you go ahead and stand up there we go there we go men's women's kids prayer how many are involved in prayer ministry at the church go ahead and stand up what about parachurch ministry where you're involved in a ministry outside of the church where you're involved in like jail or convalescent home or you're involved in some kind of street ministry where you're involved in doing some kind of ministry throughout the week what if you there we go go ahead yeah what if you take in little tiny babies and nurture them and love on them if that's you go ahead and stand up because that's a killer ministry what if you're go ahead and stand up if you've got a foster care ministry there are so many things what have i missed cleaning what if you're part of the cleaning team go go ahead and stand up jolene cleaning i knew i was i should have made a list if you're part of the cleaning team go ahead and stand up if you're part of the music ministry, go ahead and stand up. Music meaning tech. So that'd be a tech team. You guys can stand up. Um, if you're part of the maintenance team here at Harvest Church, go ahead and stand up. All over the campus. What else? 
Safety team. If you're part of the safety team, all of it. Will you make me a list for second service? Also, <laughs> if you're part of the coffee ministry of Harvest Church, go ahead and stand up. Amy, you should be standing up for women's stuff. There we go. Come, don't make me call you out. If you're a part of men's ministry, that would be you guys because you're, you're helping with men's breakfast stuff. Um, greeters, if you're a greeter, go ahead and stand up. If you're an usher, go ahead and stand up. Info center. Sunday setup team. Jolene is my helpmate. She's better than I am, smarter than I am, more capable. She writes my sermons. Just kidding, she doesn't do that. <laughs> all that to say, there's a ton of people doing a ton of things all over. It takes literally a couple hundred volunteers. Uh, let's go ahead and everybody stand up now. Uh, thanks for standing. It takes literally like 200 to 250 volunteers to do everything that needs to be done around the church. So even with all of these people signed up and serving, we still have more people in, uh, needed to serve. And so if you want to be a part of any of those things that we talked about, you can go out to the the sign-up fair out there and be a part of that. So, shall we worship some more? This is why I cut my message off a little early, because I knew I'd be doing all of this. So, Lord, as we worship, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. Now, if you breathe, if you can breathe in here, please stand up. If what? If you can breathe, stand up. There we go. I like it.
Jesus, God. We worship you in this place, Lord. We thank you for the service this morning, God, and I pray that as we go out, Lord, that we would find moments to honor you. God, that we would find moments to pause in our day and just ask you, ask and call on your Holy Spirit. Lord, we worship you. We praise you. It's in your most precious name we pray. Amen.